is March 9th, and on today's episode, I scream, you scream, we all scream for the new installment in the Scream franchise, Scream 6. Then I take you back to pre-Hispanic Mexico with a love story from Aztec mythology. Next, I make my bold Oscar predictions, and then finally, we head to the vault. This is story time. Before we get to the show, let's discuss something in Aztec mythology, something you might have seen, but you might not know what it is. It's almost in every single Mexican restaurant. You've probably seen it in your aunt. It might be in your own home. It is a picture of an indigenous Aztec eagle warrior holding a beautiful woman in a white robe. That's not just a random picture. That is one of the oldest Aztec mythology fairy tales, or Mexica. It is the culture, the nation that was there before was Mexico, and it is a beautiful story. It's often referred to as the Aztec Romeo and Juliet. So let's get to it. The story stars Iztaccíhuatl and Popocatépetl. So Iztaccíhuatl is the Lady of White, and Popocatépetl is Smoking Mountain. Now, if you're Latino, especially if you live in Mexico, you might have heard those names. They're the names of mountains, two mountains. I think they're technically volcanoes. And this is the story of how those mountains slash volcanoes came to be. So for ease of discussion, I'm changing Popocatépetl's name to Popo and Isasiwat's to Itzta. So Popocatépetl, Popo is this amazing, powerful warrior. He's the greatest warrior the Aztec Nation has ever seen. He's super strong, but he's very passionate, very fiery, very angry. And oftentimes that leads to kind of this bloodless rage. And that's going to be important for later in the story. Now, he falls in love with, of course, the edgy boy falls in love with the pretty girl. Ista is a beautiful woman. She's very fair skinned. She wears a beautiful white robe and she is the chief's daughter. So she's the princess. Disney, uh, pay attention. You might want to turn this into a movie. So the beautiful princess that's very sweet and caring. She falls in love with the, the edgy boy, the rugged warrior. The two of them fall in love. No one really knows how. They just kind of do. Uh, his kind of prestige of being a great warrior eventually leads him to meeting the king, and that's when he meets the princess. The two hit it off. They fall in love. It's beautiful, and I, I wish I could say, and they live happily ever after. But this ain't that kind of story. The king sees this. The chief of the Aztec sees this, and he gets worried because he's like, I don't want my daughter, my beautiful baby, marrying some rugged warrior. No, no, no. I want her to marry some prince of another nation. But he can't legally tell her no. He doesn't get to control who she marries. And he certainly can't tell her to marry this warrior because uh, due to his prestige, he has gained nobility. And that's a big deal. You usually can't marry. Nobles can't marry outside of nobility. But because of his um, warrior status and the rules of Aztec culture, if you're that damn good as a warrior, you rise up to be a noble. So from a legal standpoint, the king can't do nothing. But he comes up with a plan. He says, hey, I will give you the blessing to marry my daughter, but you have to go defeat this army. Now, none of the stories really get into detail of who he has to fight. All the variations of the story say it's an impossible army. Some say they're monsters. Some say they're gods. Some say they're just a warrior nation that no one's been able to defeat. Some say they're an undead army. Nobody knows. But it is an impossible task. And immediately the princess she starts freaking out. She's like, there's no way he's going to die doing this. No one, no matter how great he is, no one can do this. So the princess, her heart starts kind of like hurting. And she seems to have some corner of like weak kind of heart that she can't really take big news, right? The idea of him going off to war nearly sends her into a heart attack. 
So Popo, he looks at her and he says, look, I got this. I'm the greatest damn warrior. Me and my boys are going to go and we're going to win this army. I'm going to come back and I'm going to marry you. So Popo heads off into the war. He goes, he's fighting. It's a vicious battle, but he eventually wins. He does the impossible. However, one of the men with him is working for the king. And in some versions, he says, hey, uh, I like the princess. Other versions, he's just working for the king. Regardless, he tells the king, hey, this Kapopo did it. He beat, he beat your impossible task. Well, the king panics and he goes to Alaska and he goes, hey, he goes to his daughter and he says, hey, unfortunately, I got news that Popo died. My bad. Sorry. Ista has a panic attack. She has a heart attack and she dies from a broken heart. Popo comes back. Everyone's hailing him a hero. He's so happy. He's so proud of himself. And then he finds the news. And he says, oh, I'm so sorry. There was a mix-up. I thought you had died. I told Ista that you had died. My bad. Popo ain't the kind of forgive and forget guy. He goes into a blood rage. He is furious that this happened at all. And he proceeds to just kill everyone. In the middle of this, sometimes, depending on the story, before this blood rage, uh, the spirit of Ista kind of goes to him and she's like, hey, this is not what I would have wanted for you. Like, I'm dead. I'm sorry, but you have your life. Don't go away, you know, killing people in my memory. And Popo, he drops to his knees and he prays to the gods and he says, hey, gods, can you please turn me into a mountain alongside with my love? And that way we will always be together for the rest of eternity. The gods hear this. They give him exactly what he wants. He gets turned into a mountain. She gets turned into a mountain and they are together forever for all history. I think it's a beautiful story. Sorry, it doesn't have a happy ending. A lot of Aztec stories don't, but I really hope you enjoyed this story. So the next time you see that picture of the big rugged warrior with the eagle feathers on his head and he's holding that beautiful with the white robe, now you know that's Popocatepet, that's Istasiwat, the smoking mountain, the snowy lady or the white lady. Beautiful story. I'm so glad you got to listen to it. I'm so glad I got to tell it to you. Thanks, guys. That was on my mind. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Storytime Guide with Matthew Torres, a weekly discussion about the most important events in the world of pop and geek culture. Movies, TV, anime, comics. This is your one-stop shop for all the stories that take your imagination to highs, sometimes lows, but always to a place worth discussing. I'm Matthew Torres, and thank you for joining me. Hey everyone, here is Scream in 60 Seconds. The first Scream came out in 1996 and was written by Kevin Williamson and directed by the late great Wes Craven. Scream was a refreshing blend of slasher and humor and a franchise was born. From there, Ghostface appeared in three more sequels before the franchise took a much needed break and was rebooted in 2022 with the requel, Scream. Tomorrow, the sixth installment in the franchise travels to New York City and it stars Wednesday Adams herself, Jenny Ortega. So spoiler alert, we will be discussing what happened in all the Scream movies, including last year's Scream, otherwise known as Scream 5. So if you haven't watched that, go watch it, then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. Joining me to discuss all things Scream, Juan Mojica. Juan Mojica is a Puerto Rican film and TV critic and a pop culture aficionado. He is the co-host of the Film Posters podcast, a member of the Puerto Rico Critics Association, and the founder of the For the Agenda YouTube channel, where he reviews mainstream projects and lets you know if they are worth your time. He finds time to obsess over Rihanna, movies, WWE, and the Scream franchise. Welcome to the show, Juan. Hello. How's it going, Juan? How Are you excited for this new Scream on a scale of like 1 to 10? What would you say? 
I broke the Richter scale of excitement. <laughs> I cannot wait. This is my week. Everyone says it's Oscar weekend. Now it's Scream weekend for me. <laughs> like, this is it for me. Juan, what got you into the Scream franchise? So, as a precarious 11-year-old, <laughs> I was channel surfing late at night when I should have been in bed. And Latino kids know that when your parents say go to bed, you're supposed to go to bed. But you don't. Mm-hmm. It's like hiding the DS underneath your pillowcases and just playing the <laughs> game all night. So one night I had like this free preview to like the premium channels. And I think it was like on Cinemax that Scream was playing. And I had never seen a horror film. I'd never seen a film rated R. So naturally, I was curious. I sat through the film. I was terrified. And I loved it at the same time. It was my first horror film. First rated R film, pretty sure. And I was scared of it, of course. But then I returned to it a little bit older. I fell in love with it even more. Scream itself is my favorite franchise ever, not just my favorite horror franchise. And also created the spinoff, the parody of Scary Movie, which I don't know about you, but I actually really love the Scary Movie franchise. I really enjoy them. I think they're, I actually watched them recently and I feel they're still pretty funny. I thought the second one did not age as well. (laughs) The first one, you can definitely see that it's a spoof, but they also wanted to do it in a respectful way, if yeah. they can, with, yeah. as much as you can with spoof. Yeah. And you know, that's the thing about the Scream franchise. Like you mentioned, it's not some guy like Freddy Krueger is, well, technically based off a true story of what happened to young men. He's a nightmare demon, right? That's never going to happen right. to you. A, the, Jason Voorhees is an unkillable hockey mask wearing, you know, guy that just kills people. Mike Myers is going after a specific person. Uh, and even then, he's kind of supernatural. Oh, and yeah. then we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface, which if you ain't in Texas, you ain't in the backwoods, you ain't don't have to worry about him. No, nope. but Ghostface is one of those different because Ghostface is not a person. It's a mantle, right? Freddy Krueger is Freddy Krueger. Jason Voorhees is Jason Voorhees. Mike Myers is Mike Myers. Um, until recently, we thought, spoilers for the newest um, Halloween movie, thought he was going to get replaced. Didn't. I think that was a bad call to not do that. Whatever. Back on the screen. Yeah, Ghostface is not a single killer. He has been, and she has been, multiple killers now. Some of those vicious killers, they all kill differently. There's usually more than one. And they all have different reasons for doing this. Are some of the reasons dumb? Like, I think Scream 3 was with the film director guy that wanted to make a good movie. Ridiculous. Yeah, and it's also tied into the family legacy Yeah, the legacy. Yeah, that he's her half-brother. Ridiculous. But... Everyone else up until that point has had really good, and everyone since then has had really good reasons for doing what they're doing. Granted, I say really good reasons with a big asterisk because they're psychopath serial killers. Um, So there's no good reason for doing this, but in their cases, and I think that really endears people like you and me and, and fans to this franchise that we love that it is just a crazy ass person killing people in a very violent way, which could happen. I pray to God it never does. Same. <laughs> yeah, but it could happen. And I think that's what really makes this franchise stand out. Absolutely. And even the references to pop culture and cinema itself, the mm-hmm. way it references other horror films and sometimes even betters what previous projects tried to do. The thing is, too, is that like it does, they advertise it as this new violent scream that things are different. They, I think even one of the more recent trailers, Ghostface is like, I'm not your, I'm not the usual Ghostface. Yeah. And I agree. It doesn't seem like from what we've seen that this is the usual Ghostface. They seem more violent. Um, have you seen all the teaser trailers and everything? 
I have seen just about every trailer and clip that's come <laughs> out because I, I'm like absorbing this like it's a Best Picture contender. Mm-hmm. Like this for me, it is, it's like my favorite film of the year and already without even seeing it. So I've seen <laughs> everything and I completely agree with you. It is definitely a new ghost face. It's a more vicious side. He's a little more gruesome this side and they're very much interested in stepping up the stakes in a way I don't think we've ever seen before. Agreed. So in so in one of the new teaser trailers, Ghostface, and this is a bit of a spoiler for people that don't want to hear the trailers and stuff, but he shoots someone, which is something that we have never seen, I think, in the entire franchise before while he's masked. So I think in Scream 2, and I think in Scream, we've seen people with guns. That's nothing new. We've seen, but yeah. they've always been unmasked when they pull out the gun. Ghostface himself or herself in some instances never uses a gun to kill people. Yeah. And I think that kind of like comments on the, the visceral violence of what Ghostface do. A lot of these people want to be famous. They want to be and shooting people as opposed to stabbing people. When it comes to these psychopaths, they want that like the violence and oh, he stabbed the victims and stuff. And yet we see in this movie with the trailer, he gunned someone down with a shotgun, no less. So it's it's like they're violent. And it leads me to which we're going to discuss later. But this idea, I want you to keep it in your head. Who do you think is the killer and or killers? Because I have this unique theory that I think it's a cult of Ghostface. That there are, because we see one of the trailers. Is that your theory too? That was my theory. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, finally, we're getting a cult. We're getting a cult. It has to be. Who do you think is the killer? Like the main killer. If it's a cult, it's got to be a cult leader. Who do you think it is? I think it's a cult for sure. I low-key think it's going to be three. When you look at the different masks that are shown throughout the trailers, again, mm-hmm. sorry for the people who don't like to watch the trailers, but <laughs> when you see the different type of masks there are, and if you've seen the shot of the shrines, there are different masks with like some different textures. So I think there's three. I think the ringleader, we have never exactly had someone in like law enforcement mm-hmm. as the killer. So mm-hmm. I actually think it's Dermot Mulroney. I think it's I, I think said it's- the same thing. I think it's especially him. when he took out the shotgun, I was like, it, it's a killer. He knows how to use a gun. He's a police oh, yeah. officer. My whole theory is that, and once again, this is just speculation. I haven't like deep dived into the plot or anything, but my assumption is that, look, if there's going to be a cult, how do you get people to follow a cult? You got to get crazy people. You got to get people that are unsettled and unwell. Who has access to unwell, unsettled people? A police officer. Yep. Someone that is arresting people on the streets has access to this information to these people that are mentally unwell can go after them and look them up and make him join their cult. So I think personally that he is the, that the police officer is the main cult leader. And I think we're going to see that he's put together this community of like impressionable kids, okay. which is commentary on the franchise itself. I also want to double down. He's the perfect cult leader because who can erase the evidence of where you were that night Yep, in New York, where it's a very, very large city? And if there are cameras everywhere, who has access to delete all the footage? Yeah. But when he saw that these people were invited or came or whatever, he saw this as a perfect opportunity to take advantage of the situation. Alternatively, because most of these movies connect to previous movies in some capacity, I'm under the assumption that he's either the father or the uncle of the main villain of last movies. So the the young man that's, um, I forget his name in the movie, but the young man that's the killer, I think that this guy, that the police officer is probably his uncle or father or relative that is 
That's my, my two theories. That they're either connected because usually revenge tends to do these things, and like Scream Five is sort of like a requel reboot of Scream One, so therefore Scream Six would sort of be a requel reboot of Scream Two, and Scream Two has his mother getting revenge. So I'm like, would it if this is a requel reboot sequel? Where do we go from there? It's probably revenge. But I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much into this, but that's my assumption. What For do sure. you think are going to be the kills? It's radio silence. You know, radio silence goes all out with their movies. I mean, I don't know if anyone here has seen Ready or not. It is mm -hmm. hella gory. It is yeah. really good time, to be honest. <laughs> if you've not seen it, check it out if you love horror, Ready or Not, starring Samara Weaving. They will go all out for Scream because the fifth film was definitely a tribute to Wes. And yeah. they wanted to close out that cycle. Now, it's essentially their film. They're erasing the stakes with a horror film, with a horror requel, as we've seen with the Halloween franchise recently. you mm -hmm. got to level up the stakes and you got to level up the gore and violence. So I think they're willing to take it there. And I have seen some interviews where they say they really went for it. So Scream 5 had my favorite kill of the entire franchise, Ooh. which was Dewey's death, which <laughs> his death, brutal, man. The way they, 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 they you know just both ends yeah it's, it's just rough it is really really rough to watch but it is violent and i love it so much yeah having said that um i also think when you're when it comes to raising the stakes legacy characters that's the big question and wonder for me you know whether's riley yes yeah so she's i think she's gone i think she's out the door her mm -hmm. husband died in the last one i think she's dead in this one and I think they're bringing back one of the girls from one of the survivors from Scream 4. Yes. And the uh, fact that she hasn't been in any trailers or anything, I'm like, she's 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 intro kill. She's intro kill bait. Like, well, you know, we have Kirby Reed, Hayden Pat here from Scream yeah. 4. She is coming back. Everyone thought she was dead in 2011. Yes. That was the whole thing. We all thought Kirby was a goner. Mm -hmm. But Wes Craven had in an interview said, actually, her leg was still moving at one point. So <laughs> in Scream 5, you kind of saw this little YouTube window where it says Woodsboro survivor Kirby Reed. Fans lost it. Yeah, She is back. She does have, I think, a juicy role. I don't think she's the opening kill. I have another okay. theory of who's the opening kill. Mm -hmm. I have two, actually, two theories. But I do believe that, I agree with you, a legacy character might have to go. I think it's either Kirby in a sacrifice kill where for example let's say she's protecting gail protecting tara or sam she mm -hmm. takes the bullet if you will i think she would be the sacrifice possibly gail has never had a conversation with ghostface so she's gonna go out go out with your one and only phone call with ghostface and oh yeah yeah that's never had one it's yeah she hasn't time. had yeah and usually those statistically those don't end well for people who aren't the main character Nope. I think statistically, everyone who has had that call dies, except for the main character. Wouldn't it be ironic, though, if she's having that call? And again, we're going all out with this theory. I know Nev Campbell's not going to be in this film. We've made that clear. Mm -hmm. And I 100% stand by her decision, 100%. Yeah. But it would be an interesting way to keep her arc open if they want to bring her back for Scream 7, if Paramount wants to do that. If Gail is the last kill. One killer makes it out and escapes. And Sydney finds out about it and she's coming back to just end it all and find out who is the last one that's orchestrating I, this symphony of kills, if you will. I like that idea because now it gives me the idea of what if this movie is a finish but a build up? 
So like, what if like the cult is just, this isn't the cult. It's one facet of the cult. And if, I mean, to kill that many people is a big deal. Mm -hmm. But now that you bring it up, it's like, I think it would be a really good reveal if we think up until the end of the movie that there's one killer and then we reveal when Gail gets away that she just gets stabbed by like three or four like, you know, ghost face. And that's the big reveal that there's a cult there, you know? But we'll see. I, I say that as if I'm like excited, but it's going to make me cry when I <laughs> see I it. I mean, that's the thing with a Scream fan. You have so many theories. It could be so many things because we have those leaks are closed down tight. I mean, remember in Scream 3, I remember there were like three scripts in case they were leaked and they filmed all of them. And it was kind of genius. So you kind of want to create all these theories. You are like, oh, it didn't happen. But I kind of love what they did anyway. This is the sixth movie. So the last Scream wasn't technically Scream 5, right? It was just called Scream. Yeah, it was just called Scream, but everyone knew it was like the fifth entry because... And then now it's Scream 6. So we're, we're yep. doing this thing where they reboot franchises and then they're like, hey, wait a minute, we should we should, we should should call this Scream 6 because like yeah. it does connect. Whatever. It, yeah, so if you're watching the movie, it would go Scream 1, 2, 3, 4, Scream, Scream 6. So we talked about who the, th- the killer is. We, like we said, there's going to be at least three, if not more. Um, my personal pick is anyone new? Is a, is a suspect, right? Everyone is a suspect. Everyone is a kid could be a killer. Um, I think anyone new that's joining this episode, like Tony Rivalori, which is another Latino, which will now be three Latinos in this movie. We have the two main characters and we have Tony Rivalori. Um, I, he's probably a killer. Um, but anyone who's not new to this is a killer. I don't have the highest hopes for current like uh, previous people from Scream 5 surviving this. I really think Jenna Ortega is going to fight this. I think, um, or, you know, make it through this. I think her sister is going to make it through this because she's the main character. Yeah. Um, But as for the twins, let's be real here. What happened to their uncle in the Scream 2? Yeah. He, got, <laughs> he died, so... And it's alluded to in the fifth film with, yeah. with our very own Liv saying, you know what eventually happens to the experts? Yeah. Famously said, like, they died. <laughs> and they've already been through it. The last question is this, and I think I, I asked this to you, but I feel like I know the answer to you. Do you think there's going to be fatigue? Do you think there's going to be franchise fatigue? Do you think that people are going to watch this and be like, cool, give us another be like, hey, good send off, stop? Or do you think there is a want and a need from fans, um, both hardcore and, you know, uh, general audience of a Scream 7? Do you think it's pushing it too much? Do you think the big twist is irrelevant? What do you think we should the scream should go from here? I personally will not experience fatigue with scream films. You can tell me it's going to be like Friday the 13th, 15 films, and I'll sit through all of them with no problem. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the fandom, the fandom is very much already looking forward to a scream seven. You kind Agreed. of already have the idea that Radio Silence is going to make their own trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that would be the concluding chapter where hopefully everything gets resolved and again, we'll see what happens with uh, the Neff Campbell situation. Mm-hmm. I think general audiences are really going to show up for this film because like you had said earlier, we have Jenna Ortega who's having a huge career moment. X, Wednesday, Scream, like 
I think a lot of people are showing up for Jenna Ortega and doing the homework yeah. to see Jenna Ortega. Yeah, she's but, a scream queen. She's been yes. in a few horror films, even more than that. I don't know off the top of my head, but she's been in a few. Wednesday Adams is like the most popular show in Netflix history outside of Squid Games, which is international market. National Wednesday Adams is the most popular show. It's being greenlit for a season two already. Huge views, huge numbers. Jenna Ortega herself is an icon. She's very proud of her Latina heritage. So it's very unique that she's in this position. So it makes you wonder... Are they taking that into consideration whether they determine whether or not to kill her off? You know what? Those who have seen X know, and a little bit of spoiler if you haven't seen X, I'm sorry. It came out a few years ago. Give, she can give a really good death scene. She is a hell of an actress. And if they kill her off, it is going to affect the audience a little bit, in my yeah. opinion. But what if she suddenly becomes the lead and she has to grieve the loss of her sister? And that becomes the motive for Scream 7. That's my thought, too. I think they would be interested in a Scream 7 to see how this all ties up. But I don't think, I think afterward, they might need to take a little break from Scream. After Scream 7, you know, we know how it played out with the Halloween requels itself. After Halloween ends, they're like, all right, we need to give it a break. It did not work out the way we thought. This is so, I mean, we could talk about Halloween ends and how I think that that was just a bad script, in my opinion. I, I don't think necessarily the franchise had, I think it was just, bad writing but that's just my opinion on the scream franchise i'm very excited to see this i will see it the moment i can um i know that i think they're having the red carpet in new york tonight i'm in los angeles so i i can't go to that but very excited for it uh do you have anything last to say before uh, we we give this segment a send off i honestly think that the scream is going to deliver those are my really one of my last thoughts but <laughs> i think it's going to deliver and i think a lot it's of gonna people be are going to be surprised good. It, a lot of people are going to surprise, and I think a lot of people should really look out for Mason Gooding. I think okay. a lot of people should keep an eye out for him. He's an excellent actor, and I think he's going to really bring it this time, and I think his arc is going to be pretty good. I'm not going to say anything, but you know what? <laughs> I've heard his character does a really good job, so I think a lot of people should keep an eye out for Mason Gooding. Perfect. And so, and speaking of people keeping an eye out for people, uh, where can we find you? On social media, where we got it? Well, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd, at Leading Mohicans. You can find me over at the Film Posers Podcast, where we are ranting, raving, and reviewing cinema on my YouTube channel for The Agenda. Yeah, I'm usually around there. Thank you so much, Juan. I enjoyed talking to this about you. We could talk forever about this, but we got to get out with the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the next segment. everyone, this weekend is the 95th Academy Award, so I invited film critic Josie Melendez back to class up the joint and make some award predictions with me. So, Josie, what is the category that you're most excited to see the winner for? This is the one that, shut up in the room, I need to see this. Which category is that for you? Uh, best Documentary Feature. Ooh, why is that? Because uh, my favorite film last year was Fire of Love, directed by Sarah Dosa, who is the sweetest. And I really wanted to win. It's on Disney Plus right now. It was first acquired. It wasn't Sundance. It won the category like Best Documentary, etc. It got picked up by National Geographic and it's being distributed by uh, Neon Rated as well, which Neon okay. is killing it. And they have like three films in that category. So, <laughs> Neon, so they're happy it, it, they're, regardless they'll of win. <laughs> Yeah, they'll win either way because the only other one opposing Fire of Love is All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. So it's both Neon. But Disney collaborates with National Geographic, so you can catch it on Disney Plus if you haven't seen it. Ooh, Fire of Love, you said? 
Yeah, it's about uh, yeah, it's about two volcanologists um, that fell in love with each other, but also due to their undying love for volcanoes, and it's how they like this isn't a spoiler. They unfortunately died due to a gray volcano, but it showcases how their research of volcanoes has helped with evacuations. Oh, wow. So it's sad, is what you're telling it's me. It's sad, but it's also uplifting because they turned this story about volcanology that you're like, what? But it's also a love story. So it's very focused on them. And it's going to be adapted by Focus Features into a narrative feature. Ooh, okay. So I, I feel like that was a smart answer. Mine is <laughs> the very uh, emotional answer. And that's Best Supporting Actor in a Leading mm-hmm. Role. Oh, heck yeah. Um, I... I Everyone knows who we should all root for this in the movie. He's, uh, he's the only one that's um, that's locked. That's the yeah. only acting category yeah. that's like, okay, And, and that's the thing. So for those of you who don't know, Kei Kwan, I hope I said that right, Everything Everywhere All at Once, he's short stack from the Indiana Jones movies uh, and The Goonies. He's wonderful. He gave up acting. He came back for this. He didn't want to, but he came back for this because he loves acting. And yeah, I get teary at thinking about it. I hope he wins. He's one Best Supporting Actor, I think, in Every nomination he's yeah. done so far, he's so he's almost guaranteed to win this. He deserves this. He is so damn good in it. Um, and speaking of everything, ever all at once, when we start jumping to best picture, best director, best producer, <laughs> do you think it's going to sweep? Okay, I wrote, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget. <laughs> everything, ever all at once has PGA, it has DGA, it has SAG, and it has WGA. If you tell me it's not going to win, I won't believe you. I think <laughs> you are deciding not to de- not to choose this. And I'm going to say, if it doesn't win, the Oscars is admitting to be quite discriminatory. And the thing is, too, we've seen that, at least in Best Pictures, they've been a little better about it in recent years. Best Actor categories sometimes are still pretty predominantly not mm-hmm. people of color friendly. But we've seen Parasite win. Uh, there was like five years in a row where Latino director won Best Director. Yeah. Um, one of those being Guillermo del Toro. Um, Alfonso Curran and then Alejandro Inatu. They've been pretty all right sometimes when it's not best actors. So speaking of best actor, uh, Austin Butler, Brendan Fraser, who you got? I, okay, I want Brendan Fraser. I feel like the safe bet <laughs> right now is Austin Butler, but Brendan Fraser won the Golden Globe, so that gives me hope. My biggest mm-hmm. worry was BAFTA because mm-hmm. if Austin Butler won BAFTA, I would be worried. If it was Colin Farrell, I'm like, the BAFTAs are biased towards Europeans, so yeah. it's fine. But since Austin won the BAFTA, I got so worried. But Brendan got Golden Globes, so that's why it's a literal race. Nobody really knows. Yeah. I feel like it's a toss-a-coin kind of situation. And it's just like with Kehu Kwan, uh, Brendan Fraser. So Austin Butler's this young guy. I've gotten to meet Austin Butler at mm-hmm. a red carpet. We were just standing there waiting for our cars, and he was really nice, sweetest guy. Oh, he's Took nice. pictures of me. He's sweetest dude in the world. He was super cool. You know, my wife, like, fangirls. He used to watch her when he was, like, on a Disney show or something. Oh, yeah, he's like, he's you gonna remember wait. that. <laughs> gonna, if he wins, he'll be the first person from the high school musical cinematic universe to win an Oscar. <laughs> See, and yeah, but he's he's wonderful. He's a nice guy. Having said that. Brennan Fraser is part of my childhood. I am a millennial. The Mummy made my childhood. I remember when I saw it in theaters. And he has, for those that don't know, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. Brennan Fraser has had a rough life. Uh, he had a bad divorce. He made bad decisions. And he got his whole career ruined. And he thought he was done. He No one wanted to hire him anymore after the Mummy franchise. He kind of just fell off. 
and he comes back at the whale, which is a phenomenal and sad and well-performed movie. And I'm hoping he wins. Like, like if we're saying Brendan Fraser and Austin Butler give the same great performance, equal 10 for 10. Austin Butler's younger. He's 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 got more time on his hands. He's gonna do that's usually Brendan Fraser, their mindset. Because the Oscars aren't just about who's going to win. They're not just popular. They take other things into account, right? Will Smith winning was because he should have won before. And they're like, ah, screw it. Give it to him. Leonardo DiCaprio. They're like, yeah, he's young. He's young. And they're like, oh, he's getting older. Okay, give it to him. So I think that's what's going to come to play. Regardless, either of them deserve it. Um, we talked about best actor. What about best actress? Who do you think's winning this? Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. It's, it's everything everywhere. Yeah. She gave a great performance. It's... It's just, and this is nothing new for her. She's done amazing work, and I've seen bits and parts of the other movies. So I can't say for certain, like, I saw the movies and she was the best, but I've seen enough of the other movies that I feel I can confidently say she did give the best performance. I think it also helps that Jamie Lee Curtis dedicated her speech when she won Best Supporting Actress, which, what the heck? But she dedicated yeah. <laughs> it to Michelle Yeoh, and then Kate Blanchett has also been, each time she gets an award, she's been like, I don't know why you guys keep giving me awards. Like, she, <laughs> she's been seen hugging Michelle Yeoh and everything, so I yeah. feel like they're trying to persuade the Academy yeah. to vote for Michelle because Kate doesn't want it. And if she yeah. does, she's like, okay. But uh, she, most of the times earlier, I saw a picture of her like hugging Michelle Yeoh on a red carpet. So I think they're really trying to persuade the voters to swing towards Michelle. Okay. So before I get to the big one, because this is what I'm going to say next is kind of for the, the nerds out there. Uh, Angela Bassett being nominated for best supporting actress. This is the first time a superhero movie has had a best supporting actress. Um, and I got to say, she, she, I feel like she deserves this. I that was a good win. performance. <laughs> you know, it, the, Stephanie Sue, also everything, ever all at once. I don't think she's going to win. I think she did really good. I think she's kind of overshadowed in her performance by everyone else. And she is in a big category with a lot of other older, famous actresses. She's viewed young. Stephanie Sue, I can almost guarantee she's not getting this. Um, I see Angela Bassett winning this. I don't think it's just because Marvel. I think genuinely she gave powerful scenes. She made it makes you cry every time she comes on screen. But what about you? What do you what's your pick for it? I want Angela Bassett. And the only other person that has won a significant award has been Carrie Condon, which is why so many people uh, are predicting her. But I'm still holding yeah. out hope for Angela Bassett because she's been getting so many recognition awards and lifetime achievement awards. Um, I was able to be at the Hollywood Critics Association Awards and she won like back to back. She got an achievement award and then she won Best Supporting Actress and her speeches were great. And I think it's well overdue. OK, so before we get to the big picture, we're going to get to one of my favorite categories, something I feel very strongly about. I don't know if you'll agree with it, but Best Animated Feature. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I um, wanted to write for animation. That's why I went to grad school. So I love this category. What is your, what's what's your, this category? Because I know a lot of people have strong feelings, especially about this year. I feel like oftentimes animated movies are Disney, Pixar, everything else is garbage. Why did Boss Baby get nominated? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> this is a year with really good contenders. Um, I'm shooting for Turning Red, though. I don't think it'll win. Uh, I think Game of the Tour has it guaranteed. Yes. But I genuinely think Turning Red's the better movie. I think it it speaks more. It has a bigger message. It's a more clear message. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Game of the Tour's Pinocchio. I, I love Pinocchio. I. I didn't think it was a very good movie. I thought it was really silly in all the wrong ways. I thought they yeah. took this character and just went far right on it. I don't. There's nothing about Pinocchio. Um, I just... 
it, it like the middle of what World War One. I, I forget if it's World War. No, it's World I, War Two because there's Nazis. I think its biggest flaw is that it could have been darker. Yeah, it it was silly, and there was musical numbers, and I'm like, and the rabbits, and I'm like. Am I supposed to like Pinocchio? Because, like, there's a reason Walt Disney made Pinocchio the way he did. They were, like, six months in production, the original Pinocchio, and they're like, hey, um, does anyone like this character? He's kind of a dick. They're like, they're like, well, we're following the book. And Walt's like, nah, let's not. Let's not follow the book because uh, I don't think anyone's going to like this character. And yeah. he switched it. And I think if you compare Gimel to Taurus to Walt Disney, I think Walt Disney takes 10 out of 10 times. Um, I'm biased. One of my favorites. Except for the, except for the live action. <laughs> Yeah, oh, God. Yeah, the live action. Walt Disney, I'm surprised he didn't break out of his grave and strangle someone for that one. Um, yeah, so so what's your best animated feature? I think Guillermo del is going to win. He's been sweeping, and if he doesn't win, that'll be very shocking. I want Marcel the Shell to win. I love that film. I thought it was so wholesome. But in terms of an animation standpoint, I would love to see Puss in Boots because yeah. it's that animation that we love from Spider-Verse but they were still able to make it their own. And it's just that remix of styles all over, all throughout. And it was a good movie. And finally, yes, best picture. We talked about the beginning, everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't even know the other films that are being nominated for best picture because I feel like it's kind of irrelevant. It's okay, you're um, fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, I'm looking for it on the list right here. Avatar The Way Water's not winning that. It's a good film. I liked it. I don't know about you. I, I liked, liked it. it. Uh, not best. The Fablemans. That was Oscar bait. And I don't think it deserves anything more <laughs> than nominations. Uh, Elvis. Could. Top Gun. Not not a chance. Uh, Tar. Maybe. I, I feel like I don't, my two big are All Quiet on the Western Front and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm -hmm. I feel like those two movies are the top two. What about you? Everything, everyone at once. And I wish I could say Banshees. Banshees is good, but it's going to get screenplay. And I think it, it should be comfortable with that. Be happy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Agreed. Right. It's one of those movies that was good. Maybe not the best, but it was good. So, yeah. Now you guys got our predictions for the Academy Awards. They're this weekend. Watch them or just watch the recaps. Um, don't take the stuff too hard. Definitely don't gamble on this stuff. Remember that it's mostly just a popularity contest. Uh, and really... That's my thoughts on it. I think we're going to have a good performance. I think we're going to have a good show. Um, having said that, if I don't, if I'm not able to watch it, um, I don't have cable, so I don't know how I'm going to watch it. But if I can watch it, I will try. Also, <laughs> but I'm Last, definitely of gonna us, get the Last of Us is launching. Oh, like, yeah. It's at the same time, the finale. So mm. Didn't The Last of Us recently not compete with the, Super, the Super Bowl? Bowl? Yeah, but they but are going to compete with the Academy they, they know they can take on the Oscars, <laughs> so I think that's the best way to close this out. Uh, win, watch The Last of Us. Last of Us, <laughs> the season finale of The Last of Us versus the Academy Awards. Watch The Last of Us. Catch the clip for the Academy Awards. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Josie, for being on the podcast. Hey, welcome to the all-time segment, or as we like to call it, The Vault. Every episode, I put something in the vault so that we can preserve a piece of art, movie, a book, a graphic novel, etc., etc., etc. Juan is back to let us know what he is putting in the vault. Juan, what do you have for us today? Well, you know, I had heard about this vault, and I'd heard that Scream's already in the vault. Excellent yes. selection. <laughs> myself. But So you know what? I was looking around, and I think there's something that should be in your vault, which is quite iconic. To me, one of the best sitcoms in history, and that would be 
The Golden Girls, which aired for seven seasons from 1985 to 1992. And it's about these four Southern Florida seniors. They share a house and their dreams and a whole lot of cheesecake. You know, <laughs> it ha- they're really funny. They have these great antics. They have these great story times. And they have these moments that just resonate with comfort television. Growing up, you know, I was very attached to my grandparents, so... When I see this show, I instantly connect to my grandparents and remember the the stories they used to tell me. I love mm-hmm. the humor. It is very much my kind of humor as well. And again, I think it is one of the sitcoms that I think has aged the best and is also going to go down in history as one of the best. So I would like to put in The Golden Girls starring B. Arthur, Estelle Getty, Betty White, and Rue McClanahan. I like that. I'm going to keep it on theme. I'm going to put in a sitcom, too. Uh, it's a sitcom I've actually only seen once through. It took me a long time to actually get to it. But How I Met Your Mother is what I'm going to put in the vault today. Uh, growing up and watching this, I was like, eh, it's not my thing. It didn't look interesting. I said to my wife about a year ago or so. We watched. We binged the whole thing. And damn, this show is good. There is a scene in this show that I think is one of the Best episodes, moments in sitcom history. Have you seen How I Met Your Mother? Oh, I love How I Met Your Mother. I have okay. the DVDs like, over there. <laughs> so, yes, one of my favorite moments, the saddest moment. Apparently, this was improv, too. So Jason Siegel's character, who's in Shrinking, which you should watch. It's a wonderful show on Apple TV. Um, Jason Siegel's father dies. And the way they present him with that information is, from my understanding, they didn't tell him about this scene. They tell his in-universe girlfriend, they're like, hey, his father dies. Tell him. Let's see how he reacts to it. And it is a beautiful moment. It shows that improvisation is a skill. Jason Segel kills it. He breaks it into tears. It is one of the saddest moments. Apparently, if you're watching the show at the time, from the beginning to the end, you see that they kind of built up to this slowly. That whenever they do like flash forward scenes, that his dad's not in those flash forward scenes. And so they kind of planned all of this from the start. But I got to say his delivery on that, but his girlfriend slash wife's in universe, her delivery on this. It is if you're like, hey, I need to cry to reset my emotions. Watch the episode where Jason or you just look at YouTube. The Jason Siegel's character, How I Met Your Mother, Father Dies. It is one of the best scenes ever. Love that. So what do you think? Is this worthy of the all-time greatness? What do you think deserves to be in the vault? Let us know. Let me know at the Storytime Guy on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Send me an email. I'd love to hear it. All right, everyone. I just got on the train and I wanted to say, wait, is that guy wearing a ghost face mask? I gotta go. Thank you to my guests, Juan and Josie. Thanks to you for listening. As always, follow me on the socials. I'm at the Storytime Guy. Don't forget to like, follow, share this episode, smash that subscribe button. And of course, have a magical day, everyone. The Storytime Guy podcast is a production of Sonora Media. It is produced by Carlos Arenado, mixed and engineered by Santiago Sierra. 